Hi everyone, welcome to the 21 Tars weekly Bitcoin update. I'm Sandeep Goenka. Hey everyone, this is Setu Saurav. So Setu, today we are gonna, well, first of all, Happy New Year to all our uh, listeners and viewers. And uh, hopefully this year is the year for Bitcoin after the bear market and also the year for 21 Tars and also the year for 21 Tars podcast. So I think uh, hopefully some exciting things coming around. And uh, I think what a way to start every year is kind of start with you know bitcoin's birthday so we'll discuss that so in this episode we want to discuss about bitcoin's birthday which we just i don't know whether you celebrated uh, i was down with covid but we'll talk about that and then we want to talk about um i think how the markets really last year have been dominated by the fed by central banks and by interest rates we'll then move out to discuss uh, our comments on bitcoin's price and maybe some potential forecast dangerous job of trying to forecast bitcoin's price for this year uh, and then we have updates on the current mess the current mess around the crypto bitcoin sam bankman fried ftx tcg mess so we'll talk about that uh, and a couple of other interesting articles in this episode so yeah lots to cover and we will end the podcast with how can you be safe this year around yes we have a neat trick for that yeah we do Uh, so with that, uh, let's get started with the first article by wishing a Bitcoin a happy birthday. So, I mean, this article, I've taken it from the Daily Bitcoiner. It's on 4th Jan. Uh, so on 3rd Jan, uh, Bitcoin turned 14 years old. Um, and it's on this day, on 3rd Jan 2009, that Bitcoin's first block was mined by uh, the anonymous and the great Satoshi Nakamoto. It's called the Genesis block. And it's unbelievable that after 14 years, uh, this thing that he kind of inserted in that first block still holds as true today as it was 14 years back. So for those of you who maybe you don't know, in the first block, you, you in every block, you can add some kind of content or, you know, text in the Bitcoin block. And so Satoshi Nakamoto mined the first block and in that he added these lines. The times... Which, is, which refers to the newspaper in the UK, The Times, and the edition 3rd Jan 2009. And the headline in that paper on that day was Chancellor on Brink of Second Bailout for Banks. And so he inserted that as a reminder to everyone that Bitcoin was kind of invented or its time had come because of this kind of manipulation of money and interest rates by central banks. So happy birthday, Bitcoin. So what's so great about the network is uh, it's an open source network and it's been continuously working flawlessly block after block TikTok for the last 14 years, uh, 100% throughput across all these years. So that's that's such an amazing achievement for this open source technology. Actually, that's pretty amazing, right? I mean, nobody really controls the network, this network individually. And this is the uptime of the Bitcoin network since day one. It's almost 100% works 24-7, 365 days. And what an adoption, I mean, over the last 14 years, right? I wish the price of Bitcoin every year on 3rd Jan as well. I mean, of course, the first two, three years was zero. And it has today reached um, $17,000, $16,000, So, and from zero number of people in the first few years, 1,000 people. And today, I think it's estimated at, at around that about 100, 100, 250 million people own or have interacted with Bitcoin in some form or the other. It is perfect segue to go into the next article which is um, this article by uh, Anthony Pomp, uh, his newsletter, The Pomp Letter, dated 16th December 2022. I wanted to cover this in the last podcast, but uh, I think it's perfect to cover it on Bitcoin's birthday uh, episode. 
So I'm reading out a couple of lines from this uh, article. Uh, so it, it's a it's a it's a it's a letter titled "The Long Term Damage of Inflation." Uh, and a couple of things that he's mentioned is that the financial story of 2020, you know, during the COVID years to the present day, has been the Federal Reserve. They played first a crucial role in creating the loose monetary and fiscal policy that drove fastest economic recovery in history from the pandemic recession. The same organization has now been responsible for the portfolio destroying tightening of financial conditions over the last year as well. And so it seems like the the kind of story of the last two years is not really market fundamentals, but it's more of moving the cost of money, which is basically interest rates. by central bankers and everybody seems to be focused on that yeah fed has been mostly trying to manipulate uh, sort of the recovery as well as sort of stopping the harm that the pandemic might have done uh, so it's mostly is manipulating that that sort of harm so that people it it affects people not as harshly as it would have otherwise but all the money printing that has gone uh, and all the tightening that fed is doing right now the effects will be I, i'm fearing that the effects might be pretty pretty bad this year around exactly the point there's no free lunch it's you know you can put put sugar in your body and get a temporary high but there there's going to be a downer and that's what money printing is and um, so we are, i just continue reading from the article the federal reserve is also the heart of the most important question in finance today when we will return to loose monetary policy and so most of the investors believe that asset prices regardless of the asset class will move positive and continue the long term trend of appreciating against the dollar once the fed pivots and um, i mean anthony pomp is saying that this theory makes sense i believe this theory makes sense Lynn Alden believes this theory makes sense. You know that the Fed will be forced to pivot, and in fact, um, just to highlight a couple of things that Lynn Alden said from the podcast that I did with her, it's a kind of first podcast as Twenty One Tars podcast. Is that the next couple of years or this year could be when Fed keeps you know pivoting repeatedly? It's like toggle on and off. The inflation numbers go up, Fed makes it tight. The inflation numbers go down, Fed starts loosening, and this might happen a couple of times. And so assets could be more volatile over the next couple of years. uh and go up and down rather than just a one way direction so again pom goes on to say in the article that first and this is i think very very important this line we must acknowledge that the fed along with other factors like supply chain disruptions geopolitical conflicts and human greed have created immense damage to the american economy and individuals ability to afford the basic goods such as food shelter and gasoline and so the point really is that you know this intervention really in the end does not really do any good you end up paying actually a far bigger price than what you started off with so to put this in context uh lands put together this chart and this is crazy okay so this graph is the graph of inflation over the last couple of decades so in the 1990s in the 2000s in 2010 and then 2020s the last 35 months the 2020s basically the decade has seen 15.52% inflation the entire 2010s the decade before saw inflation of 18.7 5%. So basically 3 years of this year we have seen almost the same amount of inflation as the entire decade before which is pretty staggering you know we don't realize it 7 years is still left in this decade and so in the end um, uh, you know the article talks about a little bit that the fed is kind of targeting a 2% inflation rate target but the way things are uh, there are people already debating that the fed could actually change the inflation rate target to 3% in the future which which seems like a small thing right from 2% to 3% but it's actually not a small thing it's a 50% increase in the inflation target if the fed does that not we're not saying that the fed has done it 
is just saying that this is not out of the realm of possibility. And so I think in the end, Pom says that it is time we ask though, would we have been better off doing nothing and allowing the free market to figure it out? What do you say? That's what the Bitcoiners believe in, that, you know, sovereign feds should not have such an uh, extremely high amount of control on the way money supply comes and the way money gets consumed. And uh, one of the things that we will be covering in the podcast is uh, right now the discourse around inflation, uh, which has been a dominant narrative for the for the last year, 2022, is has also started to you know get in conflict with the discourse around around slowing growth. And uh, so there might be continuous toggles or continuous pivots, or there might be some sort of give and take that the Fed will have to uh, you know arrive at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the part of the Bitcoin journey is the journey to understand that market intervention causes more damage, not less. And that's the journey uh, that we request all of you uh, to take. So that brings in to the next article from the Mint. It's an Indian financial newspaper uh, dated 4th Jan. And the title of the article is Fed meeting minutes may point to rate hike end game new debate phase. So again, that's what you're talking about, um, Setu, right? I mean that... Maybe from a continuous increase in interest rates over the last year, we might enter into a phase where there's confusion whether interest rates should be increased, maybe not at the same rate, or should be kept the same, or I don't know, you know, a complete pivot, of course, would be loosening, which I don't think is in the near future. Yeah, Fed's FOMC uh, meeting that happened on Wednesday, uh, they pointed that uh, now the slowing growth is a concern. But they also pointed that they might continue with the policy so that they don't signal that, you know, they are reverting completely. And so it is expected that for this year, at least, and that's what would, that, that's the signal that was given for this year, this year, at least there will be another raise of up to three quarter percentage points over the course of a year. So, and, and then uh, the invitees and, and the folks who attended are conflicted on where to go from there. So where to go from 5.5% interest rate in 2024. Some are of the opinion that it should be brought back to uh, 3%. So that's where the split is there. Uh, and no one knows for sure as to how Fed will react post that. And so that uh, takes us to the kind of segue of discussing, uh, you know, Bitcoin's current price and what we think about Bitcoin's price in the near future. Again, we're not... Uh, certified financial analysts. So please do your own research. This is for information purposes only. And so I think let's start that discussion around Bitcoin's price with, I think one of my favorite metrics, again, mere multiple. And for those of you who don't know what mere multiple is, it's basically the Bitcoin's current price uh, divided by the four uh, year moving average. So it kind of just shows how bearish or bullish uh, the current Bitcoin price is uh, compared to its historic price. So the current mere multiple um, is 0.86. And uh, this mere multiple has historically been higher than today's value 74% of the time, which actually what is shocking is that the mere multiple has been lower than this 16% of the time. So, you know, although this is extremely a painful bear market, I was actually surprised that the mere multiple has, that Bitcoin has seen worse times, at least from this metrics point of view. So the idea is that when the mere multiple is low, uh, it's bearish, there is fear, which means basically you are in a better place, at least as a buyer. And when it's high, there's greed and, uh, you know, in the market. And so there are a couple of articles from uh, Bitcoin Magazine Pro. And this is a paid, one of the newsletters that we subscribe to. So this article is uh, titled Jan 2022 Monthly Report 
uh, and basically talks about the lack of institutional demand. And I think uh, this is uh, there are some very good points that the article makes. So one thing that I'm reading from the article is um, the article is talking about the GBTC discount the, uh, to its NAV uh, and how that influences Bitcoin's price. Uh, you know, so I'm reading from the article. Uh, the article says that the greater the discount to NAV that GBTC trades with, the more spot demand the product siphons from Bitcoin itself, which is perfect, which makes perfect sense, right? So basically what the article is saying is that if the GBTC product trades at a discount, which it is currently right now, somebody out there, especially institutional investor, especially an institutional investor who's out there who wants to buy Bitcoin, now has two choices. He can buy uh, the GBTC share or he can buy Bitcoin. And of course, like we've seen a couple of people like ARK Invest have gone ahead and bought a GPTC shares. And not that if this would not be at a discount that they would have bought Bitcoin, but still there is that amount of money which could have directly bought Bitcoin goes to GBTC and GBTC is not adding any more Bitcoin right now. Of course, right? So it, it does yeah. not increase the demand for Bitcoin. And so it goes on to say, for the time being, shares of GBTC look to present an attractive opportunity to buy Bitcoin at a large discount for institutional investors or for exposure in traditional retirement accounts. So if you have you know, one of those American retirement accounts, you can only buy GBTC and institutional investors. It's a great opportunity. We said that in the last uh, podcast episode as well, that the GBTC buy looks like a good opportunity. It should be noted that shares of GBTC do not have the native properties that Bitcoin itself carries, that is sovereign ownership, censorship resistance, global liquidity. So yeah, those are the risks you know you do not control custody and liquidity could be a problem because you are dependent upon gbtc's volume not on bitcoin's volume and then it kind of summarizes that one should expect the gbtc discount to approach closer to nav before significant price appreciation in bitcoin which is the asset itself takes place due to the incentive the discount place places to allocate to gbtc so i think that is very very interesting that one way to think about when Bitcoin could kind of return to its bullish phase would be to keep a track of GPTC's discount to its um, NAV. What do you think about that? Isn't it the other way, Sandeep? Wherein, when the Bitcoin price will start to shoot, then the discount will start to close. Uh, so, yeah. That's a fantastic cause and effect confusion, right? It, Yeah, you're, you're right. Absolutely. GPTC went into discount once... Bitcoin entered its bear market because, you know, institutional investors wanted to sell. And uh, there are, of course, there's a huge amount of volume which happens outside GBTC, currently about 25 to $50 billion. Uh, and if it becomes bullish, then the GBTC shareholders will stop selling. The financial institutions will come back in the market. And no, that's a, actually, that's a great point, Setu. <laughs> so one thing that you have earlier also mentioned that GBTC does not have a lot of risk from DCG going down. If that is true, then in this scenario, as an HNI or as an FI who wants to, uh, who has the ability to buy some, buy bitcoins worth ten thousand to fifty thousand dollars, does it make sense for them to make a bet on grayscale and buy it? Would you do that? No, I haven't done that, so obviously I won't do that. And uh, uh, you know, there have been you know people, there are twenty one task clients who've come up to us and asked us about our opinion on um, a GBTC, right? And to them, I've gone and told them that according to me, I do believe it's a good opportunity. These are the risks. These are the opportunity. Uh, this is the opportunity. I, I think for me, fundamentally, the you know, as the article said, the native Bitcoin properties of self-custody, uh, 
you know, and then the continuing risk of uh, GBTCs. I, I wouldn't say continuing risk of GBTC as an entity, risk of GBTC's liquidity issue, you know, what happens that the discount increases in the short to midterm, which has got nothing to do with Bitcoin is still there. And I think I'm just uncomfortable exposing, you know, having Bitcoin exposure um, with an intermediary. But if you tell me, if you still tell me whether it's a good opportunity or not, I'd still say it's a good opportunity, but I'm not doing it. I think you are comfortable with the Bitcoin's volatility itself. You don't want to add on another set of volatility on top of that. Exactly. Because uh, see, again, the thing is, if you would have come to me when GBTC was was at a 10% discount to its NAV and and you would tell me, that you know what, is this a good opportunity? I would say, yes, it's a great opportunity. You're getting to buy Bitcoin at 10% discount. If you would tell me, will GBTC's NAV trade at a 50% discount over its NAV, a GBTC share price? I would say, I cannot for the life in me imagine that, but it's true. So in hindsight, okay, you know, I mean, but like, yeah, at 10%, it would make sense to me. And so that's the reason I don't know what other variables could happen in the short to midterm. And I just don't want to increase the number of variables in uh, my Bitcoin investment. Got it. Something yeah, that our finance professors used to say in the class, like you should buy in, buy in equity, but the markets can remain irrational for far longer than your capacity to remain sane. I think that's the point that subconsciously, without really thinking about it from an analytical point of view, I'm not able to expose myself to this GPTC opportunity, though I cannot deny that it's a great opportunity also. My feeling about Bitcoin's kind of bear, the the current market condition is that Bitcoin is still in an absolute bearish uh, market. You know, the volumes are low, there's very less interest. You know, the macroeconomic fundamentals are still all over the place. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. So I think it's wait and watch, just like the way it has been over the last month. Every week, every month that Bitcoin spends in the bear market, again, like we discussed last time, that the number of sellers keeps getting lesser and lesser. And, uh, you know, it's only the people of last resort that are still in the market. There are people whom I respect who are still saying that there could be one or two more capitulations there, which we've discussed again in the previous podcast. Any major exchange, we've discussed a few names. If anything really bad goes happens over there, there could be further bad news. But I think we are coming closer and closer to the bottom. I think so. Uh, We will be covering the mess that's still there in the crypto and Bitcoin space, but I think, uh, and the price has been stagnant since some time now from in the 16 to 18K bracket. So I I don't see uh, it getting more bearish than this. So, you know, this is pretty amazing that Tim Draper, you know, whom I I, I like the guy, you know, (laughs) he comes up on the 1st of Jan 2023 and says that he continues to stand by his $250,000 Bitcoin price prediction for this year. What do you think about that? But before you tell me what do you think about that, I want to say that, you know, we, I mean, we've been as Bitcoiners in the market long enough to know this article. Do you remember this one? This is. I remember he made a prediction for 10,000 Bitcoin crossing $10,000 and it was the news back then. So, you know, I think uh, when he made the prediction of Bitcoin crossing $10,000, Bitcoin was again at a kind of the bottom of its bear market. I think it was around a few hundred dollars, like three, four hundred dollars. This was in 2014, 2015, if I'm not mistaken. And he said that Bitcoin is going to touch $10,000 by the next year or whatever, which was supposed to be 2016. And then he came in Jan. It's just insane, right? Like it's exactly the same circumstances. He came in Jan. Bitcoin was no, it was not near $10,000. And he said that Bitcoin will reach 10,000, but might take another year. And so I just want to kind of remind the audience how ridiculous $250,000 sounds right now. And again, we are not giving any investment advice, but it's the same guy 
who kind of you know made this prediction and yeah it finally it happened in 2018 actually it didn't even happen in 2017 it was the 2017 the bitcoin bull market started and it was the yeah. end of 2018 where you know between october and uh, december 2018 bitcoin went from about $8000 to $19000 crossing $10000 and then of course crashed back yeah it, it might seem preposterous $250000 but if you remember in 2021 bitcoin in the same year bitcoin touched $4000 and bitcoin also went to $69000 so yeah uh, this extremely high amount of variation that we have already seen and the ones who have stick, stuck around for the last couple of years for them it might not be as preposterous as it seems the point of sharing that article was not to make any price predictions but just i just found it really interesting this kind of similarity between you know the cycle that tim draper announced and the price that he announced in jan 2017 and then uh, you know right now and the market conditions so so with that i mean yeah he's obviously super optimistic but uh, the markets are not and uh, besides the drop in price i wanted to highlight that i mean there's a there's of course a drop in volume as well so on first jan data shows that 23 billion dollars of bitcoin was traded in the last 24 hours and you know a lot of people especially a lot of new bitcoiners don't really know how liquid bitcoin is so right now about 23 billion dollars worth of bitcoin is traded every single day it's a very liquid asset which is actually a massive drop compared to about 55 billion dollars that bitcoin was uh trading per day about two weeks earlier and the 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 peak has been 8th november 2022 which is about 54 days prior to 1st jan uh, which is amid the amid the ftx collapse bitcoin volumes were about more than 100 billion dollars a day yeah so i believe a lot of movement in bitcoin volumes uh, were also driven because people were trying to trade into crypto so a lot of times you know they will trade out of bitcoin uh, the positions will move and move into one or the other crypto that might have significantly come down uh, and also because bitcoin has gotten out of exchanges and people have started you know holding it themselves so both the reasons might be there yeah absolutely i mean it's overall when there is no volatility uh, volumes go down our volumes are actually more indicative of volatility in bitcoin's price rather than the fact that bitcoin is in a bear market or a bull market so with that let's discuss the current you know mess going on in the crypto market it has been of course a quiet week uh, not compared to the month that we had in december but let's just cover some of the key news uh, articles that we came through um, so this is interesting sam bankman fried uh, founder of ftx has pleaded not guilty to all the eight counts of fraud which he has been charged so yeah so this is interesting sam bankman pleaded not guilty will of course cover just out of interest really it has no impact on bitcoin but just out of interest we will keep covering what's happening in this ftx sam bankman fried saga i think this is an extremely important video that i want our audience to listen to and see and uh, this is a um, uh, interview that CZ of the current largest exchange Binance did, and basically he completely bombed this uh, CNBC interview. And I just want to kind of play this uh, short clip. No idea. Standard for reliability, solidness. Would you be able to handle it if somebody asked you for two point one billion dollars back? Would that be okay? Would you be able to still withstand this? We're financially okay, including you have two point one billion dollars to give away if somebody came to reclaw to claw that back. You'd Ooh. still be fine. We'll let the lawyer handle it. We are financially strong. Yeah. So that was uh, CZ's interview with CNBC, and the biggest problem that I have uh, with that is that he does not answer 
that very, very simple question of use of funds directly. He just says we are financially sound. And then when the host asks him specifically again, he says that we let the lawyers handle it. I think that was the worst CZ response ever. Yeah, so the moment he said we will let the lawyers handle it, like the the interviewer actually smugged or like were like what just happened? Yeah, I did not expect CZ. CZ is normally very direct. I don't uh, subscribe to Binance. I don't believe in Binance's model and altcoins and shitcoins and all of that. But whenever I've listened to CZ, he is pretty direct. Uh, he seems to be, uh, you know, coming from a place of transparency. But this was one of the worst responses that I've seen. And so if you are a Binance user, I would put you, you know, on the edge. I would be on the edge with that uh, response. Uh, and if Binance is a bank run, which they did, I mean, we covered that in the last podcast episode, which they managed, but you do not want to be the last man standing with these exchange bank runs, exchange runs uh, with your crypto. Yep, uh, this uh, is, I would say, a dangerous place to be in. Uh, this would be a dangerous place to be in right now. So part of the uh, current saga, one, we covered Sam Bankman-Fried, Binance's <laughs> interview uh, you know, with CNBC. And the other thing is uh, the digital currency group saga, uh, you know. Yeah, so there's this article uh, on Dirty Bowl Media on Substack, which takes us through what's been happening at the DCG group. And uh, DCG basically started uh, with saying that, you know, they have very little exposure through Genesis. I think they initially told that they might have seven exposure was $7 million. Uh, later on, they revised that to say, you know, the exposure has gotten a little bigger around uh, hundred odd million dollars, $175 million. And after a couple of days, they stalled the withdrawals, right? So uh, that's one uh, the parent company, uh, of Genesis, the DCG group itself gets almost all of their revenues from one single uh, entity that they control, Grayscale, uh, which uh, has been almost generating all the revenues. And it's strange that even with all those revenues and with very limited uh, amount of, I would say, the work that goes on in generating revenues in Grayscale, because it's just a Bitcoin and Ethereum holding company, right? It's a question mark as to where all that revenue has gone. So uh, what is it that they have done with all that money? And what, why is it that Genesis is at a stage wherein they have to look, look for a billion dollars from outside to sort of uh, continue to operate. So broadly, that's what the article talks about, like that they have been using all this revenue to invest in uh, startups, to buy back their own equity or their own tokens from the market, uh, effectively sort of very poor and mismanagement of funds. And that's why Grayscale, it is a separate company and it's, it's holding has already been sort of ratified or, you know, verified by Coinbase uh, and it should be relatively safe, but does bring questions on, on the parent group, DCG. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. And uh, just to continue, I mean, the other, you know, salvo that was fired to them was by the Winklevoss brothers, uh, you know, and this is, uh, so the Winklevoss brothers, of course, have been directly impacted. Gemini was directly impacted by, uh, you know, DCG's company Genesis. Um, because Gemini has a product called Gemini Earn, which was basically nothing else but a retail channel uh, for um, Genesis. So they were using Genesis at the back end. And once Genesis was in trouble, which we have also covered in our previous podcast episodes, Gemini was forced to halt uh, Gemini Earn. And uh, this led to Winklevoss Brothers writing an open letter criticizing DCG and Barry Silbert. To which Barry responded, and so there's been this kind of Twitter war, 
uh, this is li literally the way this year has started with, you know, these are two kind of, you know, big names in the Bitcoin space, in the crypto space. And so Barry Silbert responded, DCG did not borrow $1.7 billion from Genesis. DCG has never missed an interest payment to Genesis and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this is all about DCG and Genesis saga, which you have been highlighting repeatedly over the last couple of episodes. I think I've been playing it down a little bit, especially when it relates to Grayscale. But then again, Winklevoss Brothers responded, there you go again. Stop trying to pretend that you and DCG are innocent bystanders and that you have nothing to do with creating this mess. It's completely disingenuous. So how does DCG owe Genesis $1.675 billion if it didn't borrow the money? Oh, right, that promissory note. And yeah, so this saga continues. Gemini is, of course, getting affected. Its brand is getting affected because of Gemini on. Uh, and we'll continue to cover this DCG, Grayscale, Genesis uh, part of this crypto saga uh, over the next couple of uh, weeks and months. Yeah, while all this all this is brewing, uh, we are sitting with our popcorns. And uh, there was a comment out there on the Twitter thread which was calling out, oh, we are just two days into the new year. And I found yeah. that extremely funny. We are just entering this new year with all this mess all around us. Yes, totally. Absolutely. We are right still in the middle of the mess. You know, we wish that the year finishes and then the new year just everything magically changes but you know <laughs> it's uh, it's the way it is um so that let's uh, move to uh, another bad way a terrible way to start the year you know uh, and these are and these are not also from the broader crypto space you know like this kind of saga between winklevoss brothers and barry silbert although it's crypto it's also is bitcoin and well uh, this is definitely Bitcoin only. So um, there, uh, this incident happened on 2nd Jan where Luke Dash Jr. is a Bitcoiner, uh, tweeted that he lost a big amount of his Bitcoin stash, Bitcoin investment uh, from his Bitcoin wallet. Um, and do you know about this? Have you read about it? Yeah. So Luke, Luke Dash Jr. is a Bitcoin core developer. And he lost 200 Bitcoins uh, and then he, he tried to figure out if his PGP was compromised or how is it that the hackers got into and hold and took hold of his, you know, Bitcoins. Uh, this article in uh, the newsletter TFTC by, it's called Marty's Vent. And the article is dated 22nd uh, Jan 2023. Reminder, use a dedicated hardware device. Okay, so I'm reading from the article. It's unfortunate that, uh, you know, in 2023 started with Bitcoin developer Luke Dash Jr. Um, who took to Twitter yesterday to make the world aware that is PGP key. You know, it's something technical. If you're a you know, non-techie person, forget about it's, uh, you know, what PGP key is, was compromised and that the Bitcoin he held in hot and cold storage was stolen. Okay, and cold is it inverted commas because it's debatable and that's what we're going to discuss right now hundreds of bitcoin gone and i didn't know the exact amount but you said 200 bitcoin in a moment frightening to think about it but it seems that the situation could have been avoided by using dedicated hardware that keeps private keys and backups offline luke's misfortune has brought a lot of critics out of the woodwork to you know to kind of criticize self-custody if you're a bitcoin code developer with more than a decade can't secure his bitcoin what makes you think you can 
Okay. Actually, what happened was that the way Luke, and again, I don't have the specific details, but all I know is that this, these were not his cold wallets. Um, he His wallet was tied to his PGP key. Somehow the hacker got access to parts of his PG, PGP key with which they could then access his uh, wallets. Okay. This has got nothing to do with the kind of custody that I have spoken about. It's in my Bitcoin Mastery videos, um, which is very, very simple. Use a hardware wallet like Trezor. Keep the seeds in on, write the seeds on a piece of paper and keep it offline and make sure that they've never seen uh, internet connected device or computer. And his custody solution was unbelievably not like this. Yeah. So suggesting the simplest solution is not to sort of over-engineer it and just to use a simple hardware wallet or to go for two or three or, you know, three or five multi-six solution if, if you can afford that. If, if you yeah. don't want to rely on one single point of failure, then better to go for that. Uh, and you want to have the ultimate uh, Bitcoin wallet solution Then 21 Towers has just recently launched. In fact, it's not even on the website. Uh, the ultimate uh, wallet solution for serious investors. So if you're a serious investor, reach out to us, you know, and we'll give you a demo uh, and we'll walk you through the product. And that's the solution that I use. It's a multi-sig wallet solution. That's the solution I use. That's the solution I would have till now love to recommend it to somebody, but it's just geeky. But the solution that we are finally offering to our clients is super simple, has all the perfect security elements of Bitcoin, of multi-sig. And I believe it's the ultimate uh, custody solution, which everybody should sign up for as a serious investor. So is there any form? Is there is there any place on the internet where, where we can go and sign up for it? I think right now, simply you can go to 21tars.com. Just send us a message on Telegram, on email, you know, on Sandeep at 21tars.com. At sethu.saurabh at 21tars.com. Just reach out to us and uh, we'll figure out a way to give you a demo uh, and to showcase that solution. The perfect uh, multi-sig Bitcoin wallet solution that's out there to you and super simple to use uh, to, uh, along with it. Lovely. Uh, we look forward to uh, Bitcoiners who are listening to this video uh, to try this solution out. Yes. And we look forward to say to all the material that you will put out there very, very soon so that people can sign up for the solution. And, you know, I mean, right now, of course, it's so let's uh, go to the next article, which is the kind of the last article that we are covering, which is what are the predictions for 2023 and uh, predictions? It's mainly Bitcoin price, but I really like this article before we give our predictions. I, I, I think I really want to kind of, you know, read out this article. Again, the article is in the pomp by the pomp letter. It's dated 3rd Jan. It's called Probabilities not predictions. And I'm struggling, you know, there are some of these influencers whom I used to like, but now they have become these, you know, they promote a lot of shit coins as well. But then sometimes they write some good stuff. And so I'm like struggling, you know, not dislike them completely and just pick up the things that I like. Uh, and this is going to be my new strategy, Setu. <laughs> I think Pomp has gone the other way. He has gone from, uh, you know, the other end to becoming becoming a true and blue Bitcoiner. And so has been a lot of people in this wave, like Paxful. A lot of uh, Bitcoiners uh, have been forged in this fire, I would say. Well, I hope if that's the case, then uh, no problems at all. But yeah, I've decided to pick and choose between shitcoiners. If they post something good about Bitcoin, there's no reason why we shouldn't cover it. And I, I think I, I like the fact that he kind of, you know, ends this article and says it's nothing else. He, he kind of starts talking about the article as if it's about a prediction, but he basically says um, that uh, this line over here, you know, those who succeed over long 
periods of times are able to refrain from the predictions and focus on the probabilities and so this is what i want to talk about you know that i don't have bitcoin price predictions for 2023 i kind of feel like i want to start thinking more and more and this is something that i've gone through a couple of you know some other readings as well and in fact even in the book the most important thing by uh, howard marks which is a great uh, book recommended by lynn alden in the podcast that i did with her is that to start thinking of probabilities rather than specific events you know because specific events do not happen in the future but it's it's really really helpful uh, when rather than thinking what will bitcoin's price be at the end of the year to think uh, what are the probabilities that bitcoin's price will be less than 10000 will be the current price will be higher than 20000 higher than 50000 higher than 100000 uh, and to start thinking of probabilities because i think it kind of just has a major shift in the way you kind of think and uh, execute uh, things at your end that's a very interesting perspective sandeep uh so and in fact that does tell you something that tells you that even though things might not be extremely clear as to where they will be in 3 months or 6 months there's at least some sort of guidance that uh, every halfning gives you and the euphoria before that high halfning has seen a clear trend and clear pattern and so you can use that as a basis to understand that the price range before the euphoria of halvening might be in somewhat this kind of range and that can give you some sort of view as to how the price might shape up in 6 months or a year not exact but percentage probabilities in different buckets yeah again we've discussed half uh, halving i i know you call it halvening and i call it halving whatever we've discussed halving uh, in the last or in a, in our previous podcast episode as well where i do believe that the impact of halving has gone down or will keep going down and we discuss the reasons of that um, but i think i think more i was kind of uh, suggesting that for example if i think of price predictions and then if you tell me will what is going to be bitcoin's price by the end of 2023 uh, you know and then maybe i say for example 100000 okay and so in in this way when i think like this a possibility of 10000 is just not there okay now when i start thinking of probabilities okay so for example if we, if you if you ask me what's the probability uh, of at least as per my own opinion and this is not statistical this is just my opinions from whatever i read and uh, you know study what is the probability of bitcoin's price being less than $10000 at the end of the year and i would say i would want to say zero or near zero uh, you know maybe 1% okay what is what is the probability of bitcoin's price being so be $20000 between 15 and $20000 by the end of the year and then i would say 5% and now when i say 5% okay i still have to plan for example in my finances or whatever that there is a 5% chance that bitcoin could be in this price range which is completely different when you predict a single price point so when i predict $100000 which for example if you ask me what are the prob- probability of that maybe in my probabilities it has the highest probability it could be 20% or 30% but it's not 100% and so when i start thinking of probabilities i think you start trying to make sure that you protect your investment or your portfolio from edge cases as well which clearly we have experienced over the last couple of months and i think that's very interesting oh got it this is very interesting i think th- there's something that i need to learn to look at bitcoin price prediction in terms of in, in a probabilistic lens so i'll i'll definitely try that out yeah and this is the lens that we want to use for advising 21 task clients as well so when uh, you know a 21 task client comes to us and asks us what is a price prediction 
we want to give the range in terms of probabilities because you know and i think that's much more helpful anything else that you want to cover just the fact that this is this is the first week of our this new year and we have a lot of exciting stuff uh, cooking at 21 towers we'll keep you updated right now we have a community of bitcoiners and you can be one we will keep you updated as our products launch and as we sort of start offering more services on 21 towers yeah and if and if you're interested in the multisig wallet a solution that we've just launched please contact us directly we'll organize a demo uh super excited for bitcoin for 2023 for 21 towers for 2023 so keep an eye out and see you in the next one thank you so much